Hello, hello. This is Allie Decker, and you're listening to the Long Game Podcast. Today, I talk to Kayla Voigt. Kayla is a longtime friend of mine and a brilliant freelance writer uh, based in Boston and someone that we've had the pleasure of working with here at Omniscient. She writes for B2B SaaS brands. She writes for food and travel publications, and she also does quite a bit of executive ghostwriting, um, and she's very, very good at it. Today, Kayla and I talk a lot about Um, the science and the planning behind freelance writing. We get into the weeds about how she's worked freelance writing into her routine um, as a new mother and as someone who has managed to have a pretty successful four-day work week. She talks a lot about how she combats writer's block. um, And we also talk about the differences between writing for a corporation versus a publication and where there might be some overlap. Um, I think you all will like this episode. Kayla and I had a lot of fun. We're actually thinking about doing a part two. So without further ado, here is Kayla and the Long Game Podcast. Hi, Kayla. Hello. Thank you for joining me. I'm so excited for today. Yeah, me too. It's been, we've tried to schedule this a few times. I'm excited to get going and have this chat. Yeah. No, I think it's a good time. Um, so to start, I'd love for you to introduce yourself, explain to our listeners kind of what you do, how you label yourself when you tell folks like what you do for work, maybe how you explain your job to your mom. Cause I feel like that's, that's always a unique challenge. <laughs> sure. Uh, my name is Kayla Voigt. Hello. I am a freelance content marketer slash journalist. I try to embrace the CEO label. I run my own company as a freelancer, Kale Voigt Writing Co. Uh, How I explain my job to my mom. I used to say, actually, when I worked in a big corporate environment and people didn't understand what marketers did or what content marketers did, I just said that anything with words was fair game. So I I usually start with that with my mom. I just do anything with words. And then if we keep going, I do more long form thought leadership, top of funnel content. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of varies. I've been, I branch into all kinds of different types of writing, but that seems to be my preferred method of storytelling. And I do a lot of ghost writing. And then if I have time, I do food and travel writing based on my various travels, but not always. So, I know a little bit about your career path, um, and I love asking folks, especially freelancers, what their content career has been like. The answers are always different, and I'd love to hear yours. Sure, it's it's all over the place, like like a lot of writers. Uh, and I want to start with my major in college, which is so long ago, but I think it's worth saying because I got very hung up about this when I first started my career. <laughs> I was a government and global studies double major and an art minor because I went to a liberal arts college <laughs> and that was what you did. Just double major. <laughs> yep. And so I did not, I took one English class, uh, my entire college career. I loved English. I just, I don't know. I just didn't fit in. And so I started, you know, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I thought I was going to all these things. <laughs> I went through that phase too. Yes. I feel like a lot of writers did because it, it makes sense. The skill set's similar, but Anyway, I realized my senior year that I just, I did not want to go to the Hill and get coffee for senators because it was just an odd year for the um, campaign cycle. And I was like, what do I want to do? I don't know. And the, while I was on campus the whole time, I was a tour guide and I also worked in the communications department, but nobody told me that that was marketing. (laughs) I worked in marketing and sales for my, for my entire college and nobody ever like connected the dots for me. So uh, a lovely relative of mine who worked in, was a lawyer in a corporate setting was like, Oh, it sounds kind of like you've been doing marketing. Do you want to look at some marketing development programs that's at different tech companies and try some different elements of marketing since I did not have a marketing degree? So my first job, I rotated around uh, the business. I worked at EMC, which is a data storage company that was bought by Dell while I was there. Wow. So yeah, the largest tech merger, I think at the time. That's cool. Yeah, it was a bit of a wild ride, especially where I was. I was basically an intern, like Uh one step up from the interns, just hanging out, getting coffee. And um, 
I learned in the course of those rotations that I really liked writing. And I did have some opportunities to do that. I did a lot of sales enablement and other things. My second job, I went out and I just got a job at a startup as an associate marketer. And I did everything, all the things, event planning, whatever whatever they needed. And it was awesome. Um, It was really amazing job. It was peak like girl boss hustle culture time. So that job was when I started my side hustle as a journalist. And I started kind of pitching and getting some bylines at different publications. And so I kind of have this parallel, like I came up in marketing. I did a lot of content work and event planning and all the things that entry-level marketers are for. (laughs) Social media. Oh my gosh. I'm terrible at social media. And I had, I ran, I started the Instagram for this company. I mean, that puts you, (laughs) puts my, me in my era, but Um, And then at the same time, I was a journalist on campus in college and I missed doing that. And I managed, I wrote for free. I wrote for her campus, which is... Oh my gosh. That's a throwback. (laughs) Yes, it is. They're still going strong. Uh, Yes, they are. I wrote for their, um, what's it called? They probably changed it, but the real world dispatches. So I was like a recent graduate. (laughs) That's my like column. So very embarrassing. I wrote for free. Uh, but slowly I started to get clips and pitching and kind of pivoting more towards travel and food. I had my first big break. I wrote a piece about Disney World for photos. Um, and I just kind of slowly became their Disney correspondent. And I'm an I'm adult Disney. <laughs> oh, I love that. So that this is like very rambling, but to say writing has always been like all over the place for me yeah. and kind of whatever creative thing was on my mind. I left that startup job and that was when I realized, okay, I want to find a content marketing position. Okay. Full-time job as a content marketing manager at TripAdvisor, which was like a dream because I combined, it was actually on their corporate side. So that was really interesting combining all the B2B experience that I had with my love of travel. And then I was on their restaurants team. So it was really fun. Travel and food travel and food. And so I loved that job. It was really fun. And uh, that was kind of where I was able to execute everything that I had learned in that first startup environment. Just, uh, you know, at a, it was almost like a startup inside a larger company because it was a team of one, like many yeah. content marketers are. I had some freelancers, but I didn't have a lot of freelance budget. I mean, I wrote, I wrote almost every article that we published. I wrote. Wow. And yeah, it was crazy. So uh, during the pandemic, nobody was traveling. Uh, like many companies, TripAdvisor had huge layoffs. I was one of the people that was laid off. Like I think they laid off almost every writer and designer um, in that round. And luckily they built back up and they're fine, which is good. Um, yeah. But yeah, so at the time I was like, I don't want to find another job. I still had this parallel freelance thing going. Okay. And I just decided to go for it. And I said to myself, like, okay, my goal is, you know, I I took a look at my finances with my partner who luckily was not impacted, had his full-time job. What's the minimum I need to make per month? And we already knew what I was making at TripAdvisor. So I was like, okay, here's the minimum I have to make. And if I can make what I was making, then this is going to work. And I made $10,000 in my first month. (laughs) Holy shit, Kayla. That's so, well, it was, it was great. You know, the thing about it is so many people are focused on these overnight success stories and that yep. $10,000 is wild. But I literally, well, the day I got laid off, I, this was before people did this. I, I was like, I'm going to be super vulnerable. I posted on LinkedIn and said, you know, if anyone needs a writer, I'm here. And I had a ton of people reach out to me. And I had several people be like, thank goodness you're available. Yeah. That's a weird way to say it, but okay, great. (laughs) So I, yeah, so that's how my business really took off. So before it was kind of more for like food money, going out to eat, whatever, like just kind of rainy day savings and more for fun as a side hustle. And then I, I had no idea it had this potential to actually be my career. So yeah, we're in year two of full-time freelancing, two, three about to enter year three. <laughs> what is your birthday? Yeah. So it's been definitely a lot of 
twists and turns, but it was very clear early on in that first rotational job that writing was my strength comparatively to other marketers. And it was something that I could do. I could listen to what was going on around me and synthesize it into something that people would understand. And that I think people don't understand how hard that is to do other writers. It's so easy. So I, I remember someone saying to me, Oh, you know, this must be so challenging, like all this writing that you have to do. And I was like, the writing is easy. The content strategy and the meetings and the politics, that's the hard stuff. But just sit me down and and let me write the story. And that that was what I always found easiest. And so now running my own business, I can do what I'm actually really, really good at, which is all those long form stories. I don't have to write any copy. I don't have to attend a thousand strategy meetings. Uh, It's... (laughs) It's so nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, I have a variety of clients. I work all over the place, but mostly in B2B SaaS, which is, and then every once in a while I do a fun food and travel thing, but that's more, the percentage is pretty much like 95% corporate work. And then I, I try just for my own sanity to do one fun article a quarter, but that doesn't always work because you have to, the process is very different. Yeah. between how, the two sides of, of my job. So how does it vary for you? And also like, how do you, how do you manage that? Like time-wise and brain space-wise? In space, yeah. I think in terms of the biggest difference between the way that a lot of corporations work and the way a lot of publications work is that publications want you to pitch them their ideas. Mm-hmm. So they, and I've been in corporate settings where we've had pitch rooms and come up, you know, we've gotten a whiteboard and just, done all kinds of brainstorming, but it's different. So the Mm -hmm. editors that I work with in major publications expect you to pitch them ideas that fit in with their publication that don't overlap with what they've recently covered. So there's a lot more background research. Mm -hmm. Often if I'm serious about a big publication, like when I wrote for Eater, which is, was, it was such a fun story. I wrote about why I love to make fruit salad. (laughs) This was like peak pandemic cooking, like non-cooking cooking. Yes. And that I I actually interviewed some uh, a historian from the Smithsonian about the history of fruit salads before I ever got the assignment. So I'm I'm out there doing all this pre-work oh, just wow. to get the assignment. And then I don't know the editor, you know, I hopefully that I've I've found the right email. There's a lot of upfront work versus when I work with corporations, generally it's inbound, which is right. exciting. So it's it's inbound. They have a very clear need. Generally, they know their audience. More importantly, and they can say, "I want you to sit down with our CEO. He has a lot of ideas, but he doesn't know how to express them. Can yeah. you tease out? Here are our our campaign pillars for the quarter. Can you tease out a couple of themes? And it's more on a retainer basis. So I don't mm-hmm. know if that's just the the network that I've built up. Because I, like I said this, I touched on this earlier, but people are obsessed with these overnight successes, but I spent a long time as a content marketer, like understanding yeah. what content marketing is and why it's important and how it fits into a marketing strategy. And because I have that understanding and knowledge, it's so much easier for me to approach a client and say, oh, I heard that you are doing this for your strategy. Have you thought about spinning this theme up into an ebook? And I'll lie, by the way, I can write that if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a totally different way of thinking about the writing that I do. And then the second part of your question, brain space. I actually do this in a really boring way, but I I have not heard other freelancers say this. So I will explain, which is I do it based on my budget. So I actually think like a salesperson, I have a quota for each month and I have to book that quota each month. And that quota was determined by me and my partner based on our budget for the year. Um, We're currently working on next year like what, you know, what's the minimum I need to make to make sure that we pay our mortgage and our car, (laughs) all that stuff. But then what's the, you know, what's the ideal based on childcare, based on all these other expenses we have, what do I need to make per month? So I have that quota per month. I book the retainer stuff as kind of more natural, but I make sure that those are happening. Um, I build kind of those building blocks of like, here's the minimum to pay the bills that get always gets booked first. Yep. And once that's booked. Then I kind of look at how much is left 
and how many slots in the month I have left. So I used to do this where, okay, I don't want to work Fridays. So that's four days a week, four weeks in the month. Ideally, I'm only writing one thing per day. That's still kind of a lot sometimes, you know, if it's an ebook or something longer, it, it, that that doesn't work, but try to do the math out. Right. And I book the minimum. And then after that, I kind of see where the other projects fall. And then after that, if I have any room left in terms of the slots, that's when I pitch. So I typically don't, although I've actually had some editors assign me some things, which is exciting. Um, I just wrote another piece for photos, which was really fun. Um, Those are fun. I tend to write them at night or on the weekends because they don't, like I say all this math thing, it never really ends up working. I was going to say how, because I mean, obviously we've worked together for a long time through Omniscient and like you, when, when we book you or you reach out to us, it's always like, I have X number of slots or something along those lines. And I'm always curious, like, do you literally give yourself like next Tuesday, I'm writing this and you actually write it on that day? Yeah. You can't see on my, the other side of my screen, I've got my sticky note for the rest of the month. And so I have like December 15th client one, client two, December 16th client one, edit and invoice everything for the week. Then December 20th, I have a doctor's appointment. And then that's the day I'm going to do my end of year performance work. So that's just for the next week, but it doesn't always work. Um, cause sometimes I show up and I'm just like, wow, I'm so tired. Well, I feel like in, in some ways having that schedule is like nice. Cause you don't have to think about what you're going to do, but on the other hand, it's like, what if you're sick or your son's sick or you're tired. Like I, how much wiggle room do you build into that? I'm honestly working on that. (laughs) No, because it used to to work. It used to totally work. And because I didn't work Fridays, I would book three to four slots in the week. And then I had that bonus day where it's like, I'd rather not work on Friday, but I could now juggling childcare. It has to be the structured because these are the days that the nanny is here. Yeah. She's not here. I'm not working. And that's fine. That's how I want to run my life. And uh, right. I'm not interested in daycare right now. Um, that would add a lot of predictability. It's been discussed. <laughs> but I think with writing, the thing about the is it you get to a point in your writing career where you can do this. Like, yeah, I couldn't have done this even maybe last year. I was very much like, well, the creative muse will take me like maybe today I'll write something fun or maybe today I'll just do pitches, but I, I still had a structure. I would be Monday was administrative pitch day because by Friday I'd be following up. So like Monday I would send out all my pitches. That was when I was doing more journalism. Right. It was a client day. Wednesday was a reporting day. I'd, I'd stack all of my calls on Wednesdays and then Thursday I'd write. And then Friday would be like the bonus day, ideally taking it off. And so that I had a structure even before I had a kid, but now super important hard. It's hard to hold on to. And I try, it's not nearly as fun. <laughs> it's not, but it, you know, I think I've been trying to get over my own ego when it comes to my writing and just get it out the door. So sometimes is it the best thing that I've ever written in the whole world? No. But a lot of business writing, it's more about, is it clear? Is it achieving the goal? Right. For instance, with ghostwriting, it can be so frustrating to, you have the interview, you've, you've synthesized six different assets, whatever's going on with the ghostwriting. It's hard to pin down the CEO. You've moved the meeting forward, yep. like whatever goes on. Ghostwriting is one of the hardest things because then you have the interview. It goes in a completely different direction. That doesn't matter. You write it and then they get it and they decide to rewrite the whole oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. But, <laughs> and that's so frustrating as a writer because you've spent, I, I don't even want to talk about how many hours that just was that I mentioned offhand, but like the goal is just, is still achieved by that. If, right. if the executive rewrites it, A, they're happy with it, which is great. But the goal was always to get a thought leadership piece from their perspective out into the market for the industry, ideally one that drives traffic and all those other, you know, kind of lagging indicators. But as a writer, like you have to just let it go because the goal was still achieved and the client is happy. So I've been, I don't do like, not everything is ghostwriting. I do a lot of actually, I would call it content journalism where I'm Mm -hmm. interviewing one or two sources and 
putting quotes in and it the structure yeah. is the same as any journalistic article. And but you know, ultimately the client has to be happy. Hopefully it performs as well. And yeah. that I don't always get to see those <laughs> metrics. Um but I, I hope that they are working because I continue to work with my clients. Like, so, you know, it's one of those things where you can, the structure can be suffocating for some writers and I, it won't work for everyone, but yeah. it's what I need to make sure that it gets done. And I have had some pretty rocky months, you know, in the past, like when it has blown up and not worked. So you kind of, I, I work nights sometimes I work weekends sometimes, but my ideal week is I work three days a week. Yeah. I don't work from nine to five. I work from like nine to three and it's working. So I yeah. try to remember that and think of my career more folded into my life now than yeah. it was like, well, I have my career and then I have my fitness and I have this. And I, so I'm trying to think about it a little more holistically going into the next year too. Yeah. I feel like that's really smart. It's cool to hear like how much you've been collaborating with your partner and considered other parts of your life. And even earlier when you use the language, like this is how I want to run my life versus run my business. Because I even just using the latter phrase, it's so like, I tend to compartmentalize like that. Like as long as I can run my business like this, like everything else will be fine, but that's not really, it doesn't work that way because you, you can really only prioritize one thing. So you have to look at it more like this is everything. I can't just take care of one aspect and expect everything else to fall into line. But I love how much like discipline and I, I use the word discipline lightly because I feel like that, that, and not about you, I just mean in life, like discipline. I think that that assumes this like kind of mindless, like do whatever my calendar tells me, or like that it doesn't really leave a lot of wiggle room. So I, I use that word like italicized, but as a writer, as a creative, regardless of what kind of work you're doing, you can't rely on your motivation. Like you can't rely on your creativity. Like if it's working, it's great, but you can't like, I, and I'm speaking from experience, like I can't wait until I feel like working on something like in a perfect world that that would be awesome. <laughs> but like, that's not how, first of all, it backfires online because a bunch of stuff falls to the wayside. And second of all, like it leaves room for maybe what, like one good good piece a week. If I wait for motivation, like, especially the more you do, like the more tired you are, and then you have guilt from not finishing shit. And then it just like compounds. Whereas you stick to what's on your sticky note, you know, relatively close to what's on your sticky note. Maybe it's not the best, but then the next day you're like, Oh, I checked off what I need to do. And it kind of like becomes this flywheel of creating the motivation versus waiting for it to just like show up. At least that's how you're process resonated with me. And it's always been very inspiring to me how much you've like managed. I remember when we talked on the phone. Oh yeah. You, know, you talked to me down like a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's okay. Like, yeah. Any crisis and we got through it. Yeah. But ever <laughs> since then, I've always been like, I've just respected how well you've, I mean, run your life because you run it, you have the whole thing in consideration, you know, not just your work and how like your work is always phenomenal, but that's just one part. Like I've heard you mention your son, travel, holidays, family, like everything gets built into that plan. And maybe it's not perfect, but it's all up there. Like you consider all things equal. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. No, well, thanks. I, I think there's two, two caveats to that. One in terms of making the work good, I build in editing time. So I should, okay. So Yes, I do it each day, but um, what's, is it Anne Hanley that created the shitty first draft? Have you heard of this? Yeah. And I, I don't remember who it is. I know it's a lot of people talk crazy. about it now. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it is what it is. You just get it out. And so I don't necessarily ship that day. I hold on to stuff at least 24 hours if I can. I, I can't always because, you know, at the end of the month is the end of the month, but I yeah. do my best to hold on to something for at least 24 hours before I release it to my client. Yep. And that gives me a chance to then go in and be like, what was I thinking? Or sometimes, <laughs> I thought, you know, you, you kind of can catch, you're just like, oh, I had a thought and I jumped to a different part of the piece or whatever random writing process thing. You don't want to, I don't want to open the can of worms on, <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, it needs to have, you need to read through it a couple of times. I, you can't necessarily get caught up in the editing, but also if I've cho chosen the right clients, I know that they have an editing process. And so the clients I know that don't edit my work as much, I pay more attention to it and make sure yeah. 
really clean, which is great. They trust me, but it's every client has kind of a different process. Like if I know I'm going to be submitting this to an editor, I obviously want it to still be good and no errors or anything, but I also know it's going to end up going to a different place because we're operating on it. There's going to be more voices in the piece. So I try not to overthink it and just get a draft done and I edit it. The second thing that came to mind when you said that is I don't do a ton of podcasts. (laughs) I listened to this one, Uh, but Neil Gaiman was on Tim Ferriss's podcast and he, and I, he's just a really cool writer. If you've never read any of his work, um, he wrote American Gods and a whole bunch of other things. It's very dark and cool science fiction (laughs) fantasy, but he said when he goes to write, he also just has a great voice. So it's worth listening Mm -hmm. to but he, when he goes to write, he goes into his little shed or wherever he goes for his writing. And he has a rule where you can either, he can look outside, he can do nothing. He can sit in his chair and do nothing, or he can write. He can't do anything else. He can't go on his phone. He can't go on the internet, nothing. And that has really helped. So sometimes if I don't feel like doing it, I will sit in my chair or at my standing desk and be like, okay, I can stand here and do nothing. <laughs> And you just, you give in like, there's like, there's a certain, it's, it's a surprising amount of time sometimes that you can sit and do nothing and let your mind wander. And I usually do that more with creative writing because you just are kind of like, I don't have an idea. I don't know what right. to do. The other hack that I've, I've heard other people do that sometimes works for me is I skip the introduction. Uh, some people have to have the introduction down to get, it I have to skip it. I, it comes later. Skip it. Yeah. I thesis. I mean, I'll write, you know, I'll write like what, like, or even if it's just, here's the 10 tips, like, and I know I'm not going to keep that, but like, I, I, I will write something so that I re- remember that I can't submit it without, without an intro. Yeah. Do I, not I, forget. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've, I've definitely submitted work sometimes where I have a comment with all caps, like Kayla, do not forget. <laughs> so, I know I have to highlight my stuff in bright yellow now, if I like need to come back to it because it, it all just runs together. And then if, even if it's in all caps or even if it's like, don't forget, I'll usually just skim over it and be like, Oh, that's fine. That's good. Sometimes if you really are having writer's block, especially I think, you know, for a lot of corporate work and (laughs) software companies, like you can't overthink it. It's, I know we all take our work incredibly seriously, but it's not life-saving. It's not necessarily, I mean, if it's a medical device company or something like that, but like most of the work I'm doing, like it's interesting, it's entertaining, hopefully it's informative and it's helping one through a problem, but that problem is not urgent. Yeah. Um, I do that on purpose. I don't want to work and I'm no longer interested in working at a fast paced uh, environment with a sense of urgency. So I had that moment in my career and I'm, I'm done with that. Yeah, I feel that. The, <laughs> the shitty first draft is Anne Lamott in Bird by Bird. Uh, okay, I had I had a different Anne, but yes, almost. Um, and it's it's so interesting to me because like the farther I've gotten into my career, I feel like the first draft. Like there's just something that's telling me like you should be able to make a first a good first draft. Like I don't know where that comes from. I don't know who. I don't think anybody ever even verbalized that to me. But it's like this weird. It's probably a symptom of my imposter syndrome, which we can always go down that path if you want to. But sure. I, I think it's so fascinating how you could write something one day and the next day, you're almost like a completely different writer or a different person in that like you can you can write something shitty, come back to it and be in a place to fix it up. But you need that first draft to then enable tomorrow's writer to get to a better place. So it's like, instead of just waiting and like, again, waiting for the motivation, waiting for the creativity, like sometimes, like you said, that's necessary depending on what you're writing. But if we're speaking about like B2B SaaS content marketing, getting something on the page, maybe it's not the best. I'm the worst editor as I write. Like sometimes I literally have to turn the brightness on my screen all the way down and just start typing because then I'll get like caught with like the red lines and like, oh, that doesn't sound good. Oh, that doesn't look good. And now I have to just get it out. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of people struggle with that. I mean, there's part of this sitting there and doing nothing thing is also, it's not really doing nothing. I end up organizing my thoughts. So the other advantage of having the structure is that I know going into the day what I'm going to write and I can kind of let it percolate. So that doesn't always work, but you know, if I try to time it so that I have the interview the day before I write or two days before, ideally not too far in between, but enough in between that I can let the ideas kind of marinate in my head. 
They say that, you know, when you're a writer, you're always writing just by virtue of observing and thinking through ideas. And so sometimes, and this is, this goes back to what I was saying, like writing has always been so much easier for me out of all of the tasks that I've ever had to do in marketing, because I just, I write it in my head and then it comes out onto the page. So I'm, I'm, sometimes I move around and my thoughts aren't organized, but generally if I give myself a little bit of time to think about like, okay, like tomorrow I'm going to be writing something about how AI is relating to the shipping industry. I don't remember the exact topic, but that's the broad, like, and so I was literally just today, I was like, oh, I wonder if there's any connection with some of the new like AI headlines that are going on. So like, just even just knowing that that's what I'm writing tomorrow is priming my brain today. Like not necessarily explicitly, like I'm not sitting there all, all day thinking about it, but just yeah. like I'm the tomorrow when I show up, I'll be like, oh, okay. This is what I'm going to look up. Like what headlines or what data I need to look up or anything like that. So that can help a lot. But yeah, thinking as you thinking beforehand can help with a lot of that. Like, oh, it doesn't sound good. Yeah. And also I will say I choose brands that like to have conversational voices. I don't more formal brands I have had less success with, and not that I've had too many companies that we, I've parted ways with just because I, I think I do a pretty good job of vetting them up front, but I'm a very conversational writer. I'm going to write how I talk and obviously in a more grammatical way. Right. But it, not as like formal. As, yeah. I want, I, I choose brands that have friendly brands basically. And that solves a lot of the problems in terms of like making it sound good. I'm not yeah. worried about, is this the greatest form of prose I've ever come up with? And equally is I, it doesn't have to be this wordy, overly descriptive thing. Right. So I find creative writing way harder, like kudos to all of the novelists out there, but I, that is so much more challenging to me than just, I'm just writing down my thoughts or someone else's thoughts on, you know, pick, fruit pick salad. topic du jour. So fruit salad, fruit salad. Oh no, no that's <laughs> that. I had a lot of my own thoughts on, but um, not least of which the, the fruit salad, yummy, yummy song, but. Oh my God. Did. That always comes to mind too. My husband is like, what are you talking about? I was like the wiggles. Have you it never was, seen this? It was a moment. Um, was. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe that. Wow. I thought it was the only one. Um, so you said that you're less favorite tasks when you were in-house content strategy, all that extra stuff. Has your opinion on that changed since going into more of a freelance role and maybe being more of a partner? No. Um, nope. I really don't like this. <laughs> no, I, I think I have a greater respect for the amount of collaboration that you need in a bigger company. I, Cause I miss some of that. I've, I've missed the, especially the brainstorming meetings with like a group of colleagues around the table. I miss some of those planning meetings, which people are like, you miss planning meetings. But I was just talking about this with my husband yesterday. Uh, when I worked at TripAdvisor, my team around the holidays did, uh, we walked around from floor to floor and we went caroling and it was mortifying and awful. And I remember being like, I can't believe my boss is making me do this. And I was like, wow, I really, that's one of the things I miss about being in an office is like the dumb stuff like that. We threw yeah. a party because my friend uh, was getting a puppy and we were, we just, nobody on the team was getting married or having kids that year. So we were like, puppy shower, we're doing it. We've got budget. We're doing it. Like, so we, we did awesome. a baby shower for her puppy. She was so touched. It was a total surprise. Oh. And it was awesome, but like, that's the tip. So I miss more like the company. I miss being able to say a sentence to someone and be like, does this sound unhinged? Uh, yeah. My partner's incredibly supportive, but he's not a writer. So, and also he's busy doing his own jobs. <laughs> yes, and yep. that. So I miss, I miss some of that. I do get a chance to talk to a lot of my clients. Almost all of them. I have kind of monthly meetings with, if not just, you know, kind of back and forth emails. So yeah, it's a little bit lonely. So I, I appreciate the collaboration that goes into building a really good strategy now more, but no, I would say overall, I don't miss doing all the persona interviews. I don't miss pulling all that data. I, I don't know. 
I don't like my husband does all the, all the, uh, budgeting, uh, financial projections and stuff. He, he works in strategy. So that's his skill set. Yeah. So you don't have to do it either. <laughs> I'm like, can you please project whether or not I'm going to hit my numbers? So I've gotten better at Excel. I have to say, but no, I don't have to go ask someone to pull something in Tableau. Yeah. Uh, that's so nice. So, but you did create a course. Oh, I did. I Tell me about that. When I say the strategy work, I say more of some of that, like the data, the meetings, like that mm-hmm. work I don't like. Mm-hmm. It is still very rewarding to come up with, uh, with actually like coming up with the framework. Right. So the course that I created, I did last summer and I recorded it almost all in one shot. Actually, it's, it's nice. so funny because I, I changed outfits in between the videos so that it looks like I did it. And I shouldn't even say this, but I changed <laughs> So I ran upstairs and was like, I've got moments. I'm like, okay, they're going to think that this is a different day. It's not. I recorded it all in one day. It was like this crazy <laughs> day. I, and I, I wasn't going to do a course. I didn't, I, you know, a lot of people are doing them and I just had this spark of inspiration and I had built a content strategy for a client and they had a lot of questions about it. They really were starting from scratch on how to do a content strategy and they didn't know anything about SEO. It was, they really needed an in-house content strategist or content marketer. And I was just, I had just been writing blog posts for them. So that kind of inspired me to build out the course. There's a bunch of different uh, modules on the different elements. I, I like talking about the theory of, you know, What's important when you think about your audience? Why, why do I write things a certain way? I think I mentioned, like, I like to write with brands that have friendly brands, Yeah. but being able to identify that, what, what is that even mean? Like that, I think I find that interesting intellectually. So yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind to create. It's not teachable. I don't know. <laughs> it's, I thought it was really good, but it's, it's one of those things where if that's something that you're looking for and it interests you. Um, take a spin through the course. It's yeah. <clears throat> I think a lot of freelance writers would benefit from studying content at the strategy level and at the business, like business strategy level. Um, and I, I like that you identify as like a freelance content marketer. And a lot of people use content marketer and writer interchangeably because there is overlap, like this a square yeah. rectangle, rectangle square analogy thing. But content marketer, it, it's it's more all-encompassing and there's a lot more that goes into content marketing and content strategy than just the writing element. Like you said, like writing is your favorite part, but being able to look at a client and identifying new opportunities, being able to look at a draft and identifying where you can plug in different conversion elements, remembering the goal of what you're doing, which isn't only to make it sound good and read well and make for a good experience, but to also do XYZ per while you're being hired, you know? Um, so I feel like a lot of writers would benefit from a course like that. So we'll definitely share it. Oh, thanks. Well, and I think too, it's one of those things where you, as a writer, you, I do think intentionally, if you give me that information, I absolutely think intentionally about how I put together the piece. Like Mm -hmm. we could, we could right now, like rapid fire, if there was an overarching topic, we could sit there and be like, well, if it was top of funnel, this would be the title. If it was middle yep. of the funnel, this would be the title. Bottom of funnel, this would be the title. And this is how I would approach it differently. And so that's information. I think the success, and I know you've talked about this before, but the success of a piece is almost like half brief, half writer. Mm-hmm. Because if the writer doesn't know that information and you're just like, can you write a piece about the top five tips about content marketing? <laughs> it could yeah. go in so many different directions. Um, it's just, it's always going to be a little less successful, but I think a lot of freelancers resist because the word free is in it. They resist structure and they resist the idea that they're a CEO and they're running a business. And I think the content, why I say I'm a freelance content marketer is it's just kind of a reminder that like, I have experience in this and it's why I do this. If, if I really wanted to be a freelance journalist, I would full, uh, you know, full time, I would. And I did run when I first jumped in that $10,000, I was running around like crazy interviewing so many different people. I have mad respect for full-time journalists because that I had never really put two and two together with the amount of interviews that I had to do that month. I'm just going to use this story as an example. I've used it before. I were, I had a story for Condé Nast Traveler 
the dream. Yeah. Uh, I was going to write about food in Maine, specifically the Somali food scene in Lewiston, Maine, which if you live near New England at all, it is delicious. And there is a huge population of Somali refugees that have been placed in Maine, which has been very influential on the food and culture and cuisine of Lewiston, Maine, which is there's it's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing else going on. So I got to go to Lewiston. I drove all the way up. I spoke with a, um, a group of farmers who were working on bringing different vegetables, like working with like kind of heritage main seeds and then some Somali techniques. It was this whole really interesting farming. And I went downtown and I ate at a bunch of different restaurants. So I spent the whole day, you know, I drove three hours up, three hours down because I live outside of Boston and it was a 300 word piece that got cut to 150 after I submitted the 300 words. So it was 150 words. That's not a lot. No, it's not. I I interviewed, so I interviewed those farmers. I interviewed the head of the farming association. I interviewed one of the restaurant owners. So I did two or three interviews in person, two or three beforehand, drove all the way up and back, wrote the piece, had several rounds of edits, like I said, because they cut it in half, which is their prerogative. It was part of a bigger series. They did one like a 50 states, 50 cuisines thing. I got, uh, I think a hundred bucks for that. So I spent money for that. So that's where it comes back to like that conversation on the structure and the budget of like, that was so fun. It was a dream publication to work for. They were incredible to work with. It was not, it was easy. It was, you know, even though they cut it, like that was fine. I was not, not throwing them under the bus at all. I loved, loved writing the piece. Please hire me again. Um, (laughs) But like, you can't do 20 of those pieces in a month. Like you just can't no. do that. It doesn't work mathematically. So that is part of why um, there's kind of this mix between different types of writing. I think it keeps my different types of writing sharper too. Cause it's, Oh my gosh, fun. this is literally, I found it. No, I'm not going to read it. I'm saying 150 words is like a paragraph. Uh, yeah, maybe it's a little bit longer than that, but yeah, I remember like whatever I submitted, they cut it in half. Um, so sorry, that might not be accurate. Um, it was, it wasn't, it was 2021. So no, I, I just, I have a firm belief that long form is easier than short form. Oh yeah. I, and especially when you're absorbing what it sounds like six plus interviews. Yeah. I mean, that alone is like half 150 words. Like the, the meat of those interviews probably comprises like half of 150 300 words well I, I don't think I ended up putting more than one quote in there so I you know I had to pick the best quote out of all those people I talked to and it was honestly it was so fulfilling and I wouldn't yeah you know, I luckily I have the privilege to do that where but I use a lot of the content marketing to back up some of the fun stuff and I consider that almost to be my side hustle at this point yeah so, all this to say you know the fun part about being a freelancer is you can decide that um, yeah charge of the assignments that I go out and get, but, you know, I do think there's something to be said for a little more structure than people like to do. They like, I don't know. I, when I talk to other freelancers, they just resist a lot of that structure. And I still use Trello sometimes for myself. I'm like, I tried Monday. Didn't, it didn't quite work for me. Like, but you know what I mean? I use project management tool for myself. Some people track everything in a spreadsheet, which is also fine. But like I've talked to freelancers and they're like, oh, how do you organize your freelancing? I'm like, I use a spreadsheet. Like it's, do you not, do you not use a spreadsheet? And they're like, no, I just kind of just do it. I'm like, whoa, like that's all in their head. So I think yeah. part of it is coming up from corporate, but like I embrace the, some like the best parts of my corporate experience and what I learned on terms yeah. of like how to be a good project manager, what elements of strategy matter when you're writing and what don't, mm-hmm. what meetings do I need to attend? Cause sometimes I do say like, yeah, sure. I'll attend a meeting. Um, what boundaries do I need to set? Yep. Uh, I think we've talked about this. I'm anti-slack. Yep. Don't invite me into your slack. I won't join. Um, so, cause then it's just, you know, you're going to get sucked into whatever fun stuff's going on and people just, yeah. you, I have, I have one client where everything's in their Asana, but I still get an email to ask for the contact information for the source. 
I always put it in the Asana in the same place in the designated spot in the Asana, but I I know I'm going to get an email and it's just, it's fine. I know that that's what they're going to do, but they don't realize I don't work for them. So it may be not until they're like typing my email address or something. They're like, Oh, I wonder why it's not, you know, a a dot com, like our, our email address. I think people, and that's fine. I, I like being seamless on a team, but there's certain boundaries you do have to set to like protect yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think people, underutilize boundaries and then like routine when it comes to freelancing and they over index on the free and like the free part because it is especially when you come out of, out of an in-house role it's like oh my gosh this is awesome but then after a while you you're like this is a lot like it's a lot to manage and i feel like for freelancers the hardest part of your job not that it's even that hard, but the toughest part should definitely be the writing element itself, because that's ultimately what you're making money for, you're getting paid for, and what you'll be like graded on, or at least yeah. hopefully kept on retainer for. So if you can use structure, sticky notes, Asana, Trello, Monday, whatever, yeah, it's going to be a little bit more work, but it's going to make everything so much easier or simple, or at least allow you to only have to focus on the challenge of the pieces themselves versus all the extra noise. So yeah, I've definitely had to level up my, my project management too. <laughs> so many moving parts. <laughs> the hardest part is hundred percent getting paid. So really, yeah, not even, it's not even close. It's getting paid. So depending on, I mean, I've, I have since yeah. kind of fired anyone that doesn't pay me on time. I've had the privilege to do that. Not everybody does, but especially in journalism, it is shocking. Oh yeah. I can can see that. Yeah. I mean, not to throw photos under the bus, the one that I just submitted, they, I submitted and I, I invoiced and I was like, uh, I looked back at their payment policies and they're net 45. I mean, okay, thanks. I'm glad I don't need that money right now. Like, I guess I'm not going to get it. So, you know, and it's, that's their policy and that's, I'm not, you can negotiate anything, but it's, I'm not necessarily, it's not always worth doing that negotiation. Yeah. But yeah, even sometimes you'd be surprised. I've had some bigger B2B SaaS brands. I won't name that don't seem to want to pay you on time. (laughs) They they yeah. wait. Their, their accounting team waits to see if you follow up. I, I will get paid the day that I follow up. I'll get paid the next day. Yeah, I I, I don't freelance as much anymore, but like typically net thirty, and I've learned to yeah. be okay with it. Once you get the ball rolling, it's it it's okay. Um, and I understand now being in house in my own company, like there is a reason that things happen on like the fifteen and the thirty day windows, oh. if not just like the thirty day windows. But it's the, <laughs> hey, do you mind emailing AP at? <laughs> I'm like, no, please don't send me to AP because it's just going to like, lose, they're going to lose my email. They probably lost my invoice. Like it was always such, yeah, such a shenanigan going in that direction. That's and it just where, bumps me out. Yeah. That's where you have to like put on the journalist hat and I'm going on LinkedIn and I'm searching who runs accounting at this brand and I'm going to be messaging them directly and I have their email convention. So, I mean, that's where like some of the journalist skills do come in handy. That's, that is a total PETA. That is like, there's no, anyway, we don't have to go down this (laughs) negative path, but yeah, no, that's always the hardest part is getting paid. But like I said, the writing is delightful. I sometimes it it can definitely be hard sometimes if I'm not feeling it, but generally I mean, I have been able to interview so many cool people as a freelancer that when you're in-house, you just don't get that breath. Like I interviewed the CEO of Forbes magazine for a story and then turned around the next day and uh, interviewed a a girl who had been an intern for Maya Lin, who is the architect that did the Vietnamese uh, Vietnam War Memorial. So like those are two completely different experiences. Both that was actually both for the same publication. I interviewed a farmer in Israel that was using AI to change how they're watering their date palms because date palms take a ridiculous amount of water. And so that's become a real issue. Um, Do you have pieces on all these people out? Yeah. You should I mean, definitely send them to me. Okay. Yeah. I'll include them in like the blog post that we publish sure. from that episode. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's all of, you know, the fruit salad thing. That was really fun. I've like, it's all over the place and every month is different. Um, but it's always so interesting to talk about people's different experiences. That's, that's yeah. the part. That's where I really feel free is being able to interview all these different people and like learn so much. 
And then also, I think uh, we don't have to get into it because I know we're running out of time, but the, um, my schedule is my schedule. So that is where freelancing really feels free. I don't work right. from nine to five. I don't know about you, but at least when I worked nine to five, the 2 p.m. slump. Oh, it's the worst. Ugh. And I, and it's just like, I can't leave here. I'm trapped in my desk. I'm yep. trapped. I got to have my little green light blinking, whatever. And it's like now at two o'clock, I just stop working. I take a nap if I can take a nap. Not every day. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I go for a walk. I go on an outing with my son. Like, I mean, we just, I just don't worry about it. That's not a time I can get anything done on the flip side. Sometimes I wake up at four in the morning and I I'm ready. My brain is like, okay, yeah, we're talking about whatever we're going to talk about today. And I'll write, you know, I'll write from four to six and go back to bed. So that, um, I wouldn't have done that when I was in a full-time job. So yeah. Being able to take advantage of like the times that you're on and then feel comfortable yeah. Turning off the times that you want to turn off. Whereas before you didn't really have that choice. No. And then you just be like, I guess it's Friday. So I have to write this thing that I don't feel like writing, um, which I still kind of have to do, but I <laughs> wanted to make sure you could rapid fire me. Okay. All right. I will rapid fire rapid you. Fire. What's one thing you believe about content marketing that most people will disagree with you on? And I, okay. I'll say freelance writing. No, I can do content marketing. Content marketing. It's focus on story, not on metrics. It's not always going to create an immediate ROI, but it builds a brand equity that you cash in later in different formats. Okay. Hot take. Hot take. <laughs> we need to have another episode to talk more about. Hot takes. Well, how, like just the, marriage of writing for corporations and publications. Like, I feel like we could have a whole episode on that. We'll do Kayla Boyd part two coming soon. I think that could be a really fun panel. I would be eager to hear what other people had to say about that one. I'll follow up with you. If, if there's anybody else that, you know, that does like kind of a good blend of that. Cause mostly besides you and, and Kaylee Moore, I don't know a lot of people who do. Oh, that's a healthy blend. I know a few content journalists. Yeah. Okay. They might only do content marketing journalism, but they, they're, they're approaching everything with journalistic mindset. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's do that. I, because one of my clients is ConvertKit cool. and we do all journalism and those, those writers are phenomenal. So I can, okay. reach out to I them. think I'm, I'm thinking of a few that I've seen like their bylines on. Yeah. They're very good. Okay. When was the last time you changed your mind and why? This morning on what I was going to eat. <laughs> I mean, that's true, but changed my mind about marketing uh, or freelance. It could be about anything, but I would say a bigger change than you anticipated. Yeah. I would say I've been really reflecting on right now, this podcast is taking place in December. So I've been thinking about, you know, January and I've been kind of changing my mind on minimum versus maximum on what I need to make per year and what's okay and not okay. And so trying to wrap my head around like, you know, what's more important getting the work done or spending time with my son, which that sounds like a catch 22. It's obviously spending time with my son, but in a more nuanced way, you know, what does that look like on a weekly or daily basis to right. get the work done? Cause this last few months have been a lot of nights that I'm working and that's not super sustainable. So Mm-mm. that's been the biggest thing I would say. So you've just been changing your mindset as you've been thinking about next year. Yeah. Kind of deciding. I'm still, it's, it's in flux, in but flux. Kind of deciding what I, who I want to be and what label I want to put on myself, stay at home, mom, working mom. What does that look like? Kind of embracing stay at home a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully you get some clarity. It sounds like you are leaning in one way. More uh, than another. Terrible answer. Cut that. No, I, I think I, I don't have kids, but I can imagine that's probably always going to be something that you're changing your mind on or keeping your mind open about. And it yeah. probably will change not just your dear, but month to month. And especially as he gets older, yeah. starts doing more stuff. If you have more kids. I so up in the air. <laughs> so everything is changing. Everything is changing. Yeah. Okay. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Oh my gosh. <sighs> I will allow two. Thanks, but 
<laughs> no, it's hard to come up with one. What? Um, I can name like five from just knowing you. I would say my greatest achievement has been the personal growth from the Steve Jobs. You, if you work, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I gotta save the world, whatever. To work is just a part of my life, and making the amount of money that I make for the la- amount of work I do is feels huge to me. I uh, like have so much freedom in my schedule. I'm making enough um, that you know we can live the life that we want to live as a family, and. I'm making more than I was making at TripAdvisor. So that's was my goal. I mean, it's been a few years and inflation's crazy. So right. probably ends up the same if you would uh-huh. But it's that but you're not nine to five. Not nine to five, but also it works. Like it just feels it feels good. So yeah. there's parts of it that are I'm always kind of optimizing, but I would say that to me feels so fundamental to break away from what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. But have success, like conventional success at the same time. Um, at the very beginning, you asked me like how I would explain this to my mom. And like, that has been really hard to explain to my parents. Like, yes, this is still a real job. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh, I remember that conversation. (laughs) My dad was so mad at me. Yeah. My dad was like, I don't understand why you can't just go into sales. He's he works in sales. My dad did too. Yeah, he's like, if you want to make a lot of money, just uh, I, yeah, I know, I could. <laughs> Everybody could, but the question is, do you even like that? I I would not be good at it. I my my dad, being my dad, says that I would be very good at it, and I mean, I'm good at booking my assignments, so I definitely have I I can do the shark thing, but right, ultimately, no, I would not be that good of a salesperson. Yeah, that's funny. Um, the last one I like to ask people is which of your beliefs, and this could be about anything, okay. are you most likely wrong about? <laughs> oh, I'm checking like, on that ego all day. Um, I'm going to just go with perfectionism. It's I continue to struggle with it. And I know that I, I want things to be perfect. I know that it's not always perfect, but it's, it's always there that like, it has to be perfect that it's always there. Not necessarily with my writing for some reason, but with my life, I'm currently designing my tablescape for Christmas. Why I have to sit here and design a tablescape for Christmas. I don't know. <laughs> hey, you're hosting though. That's a big <laughs> like, you know, that's the type of thing where like, why, I, why am I doing that to myself? I could say I find joy in it, but I'm not. So I don't, and anyway, that I would, I would say that kind of like, maybe it's domestic perfectionism. I'm still. Do you feel like it's gotten worse since you've had a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm, now I'm here. I've, I've arrived into this life of like, okay, yeah, well I'm running the house. So, and also I have more time in the house. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, I'm staring at stuff where I'm like, wow, I really, I do the same thing do that. But I, I got my holiday cards out. I mean, I, I do have my certain things, but I think I, I went to a women's conference once and I was 22. So I didn't get it at the time, but this is stuck with me all the way through. And that was, you have to choose your thing. Um, and this was in the context of parenting while working, um, like moms being guilty about not having, I guess, I guess apparently I'm, I have a very small child, but apparently as I get older, there's this like arms race with these bento boxes for lunches. And, What's and that? Like people make really elaborate lunches for their kids for school. And they like cut the sandwich into the shape of a star and all this. I don't know. I, I had a brown paper bag. So I, I felt like my mom loved me. So anyway, I think Pinterest and social media as it intersects with motherhood has become quite fraught for a lot of moms. Yeah. And especially moms that work, they don't have time to do that. And so it was that was the context of the conversation. It was like, pick your thing. If there's these elaborate bento boxes, show your love for your child. That's great. But then don't try to do 16 other things that make that your thing. So I think that's applicable whether you're a parent or not. Like choose your thing okay. that's going to be your thing. Like I love doing holiday cards. I love printing out photos. That's my, that is my thing. If I'm going to do something in an elaborate over the top way that is not necessary, that's what I'm going to choose. I love that. Yeah. 
That's, I don't even remember which panel it was on. I wish I could quote this really smart woman that said it <laughs> because it's not from me. I, but it, that's something that stuck with me. And I think it's relevant, like I said, whether or not it's parenting, but like, what's your thing? Yeah. yeah. What's your thing? Well, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank I'd like you. to close with you sharing a bit about how people can t- get in touch with you. If you'd like to promo anything, we'll share stuff in print as well. But while we're on. Yeah, you can uh, head over to my website, just kaylalukowitz.com, which I know you can't spell. So we will put that in the notes. <laughs> um, or I know Twitter is has imploded, but you're welcome to follow me on Twitter at kaylaluko. Uh, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with Twitter, <laughs> but I don't either. Um, or my LinkedIn as well. And then I, if you're interested at all, you know, if you are a writer or, um, don't have a ton of background in content strategy and you want something accessible, that's easy uh, to learn. We will put the link for that in the show mm-hmm. notes. You. I would love to see you in my next cohort. Awesome. Thank you, Kayla. Yeah, thanks, Allie. It's always good catching up with you. 